All right, well, I want to turn our attention now to a brand new teaching series that starts today, and it might be one of the most important that we've ever done as a church. Now, unless you were at a junior high retreat that I led at Big Sandy Camp in 2005, a couple of you were there, right? We called it Kung Fu Whales back then. It's upgraded, refreshed, Kung Fu Seals. The title Kung Fu Seals might be a little confusing. Hopefully it won't be when we get to the end of today and certainly by the end of uh, three weeks. Well, maybe this word picture is gonna help a little bit to understand where we're going with this theme. How many of you have ever heard of Shark Week on the Discovery Channel? All right, most of you at least heard of that. Well, there was a commercial that they had last year, I think it was, it was one of the best commercials ever. In this commercial, it was a newscast. It was a fictional newscast. And the newscaster is there at the pier near the ocean with this little town as the town is all excited because they're returning Snuffy the Seal back into the ocean, right? So they've got Snuffy the Seal in this nice little harness. And Snuffy the Seal is being lowered gently back into the sea. And the crowds, people are cheering, and there's signs, and there's banners about Snuffy, Snuffy, we're so happy for you. And just as Snuffy was getting close to the ocean, what happened? Great white shark goes into full breach mode, comes up and eats Snuffy. Swallows Snuffy whole. And that's exactly what the reporter did. And the crowd is like, and they cut back to the newscaster who lets out a what the, you know, and then they cut to Shark Week, you know, coming soon. I can't think of a better illustration for this series, given the subject matter that we're going to get into over the next three weeks. Now, because this subject matter is so important, in addition to the scriptures, which we're going to serve as our primary text here throughout the, 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 the message series, I want to at least point you to a couple more. There's three different books I recommend for three different reasons in your notes on the green sheet. There's a book called Sticky Faith that we're going to be actually giving you some quotes from here in just a minute. There's also two books that I've recommended before, three questions, three big questions for a frantic family, which helps you put an action plan into place for your family. And then the book Influencer, if you want to create the climate for change, there's no better book than that one. But let me give you a couple stats here about where things are going with our kids and specifically with their faith. Um, this is from the book Sticky Faith. Here's a, here's a statistic. The board of the National Association of Evangelicals. It's an umbrella group representing how many denominations? 60 denominations, all right? So this group oversees 60 denominations, or it represents them, uh, and dozens of other ministries has passed a resolution deploring the epidemic of young people leaving the evangelical church. Now I wanna hit pause for just a second. Mainline churches are declining even faster much faster than evangelical churches, but they are saying, man, there's just a lot of people leaving the evangelical church. And here's what they said, um, the author said, as they examined this and other research, they said, as we've examined other research, our conclusion is that 40 to 50% of kids who graduate from a church or youth group will fail to stick with their faith in college. Now, stats can mean nothing unless you really stop and think about them. Imagine if we took every kid, every baby, every teenager in this church, and we've got a lot of them, and we just lined them up here in the front. We couldn't even fit them all if we lined them up shoulder to shoulder. And imagine if we numbered them off, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. All the ones over there, all the twos over here. All the ones, you're going to walk away from God. 
Is anyone else not okay with that? I'm not okay with that. And that's why we're having this series. We're, we need to talk about these things. Now, your intuition might tell you that some of those who fall away from God in their late teens and early 20s are going to come back to God later in life. If your intuition is telling you that, if your hunch is that that's true, that hunch is supported by research. Young adulthood, here's another um, uh, stat from Sticky Faith. Young adulthood is often a season of inevitable experimentation for teenagers who are raised in the church and are learning to make the faith their own. That hunch is supported by the statistic that somewhere between 30 and 60% of youth group graduates who abandon their faith and the church return to both in their late 20s. Now, is this encouraging news? No! This is not encouraging news because think of what they're saying here. They're saying between 40 and 70% of the young people who walk away, if they come back, they're not coming back. Right? The, the 40 to 70% aren't coming back. They're going to keep walking away from God as they go deeper into adulthood. And those who do walk away but do come back, they return to Christ and his church, they're almost guaranteed to return with some pretty painful regrets, right? If they walk away from God during those key years. And one more quote here. Those young adults who return from faith after a season of prodigalizing, my words, not theirs, have already faced significant forks in the road regarding friendship and marriage and vocation and worldview and lifestyle, all the while their faith has been pushed to the back seat. And they'll have to live with the consequences of those decisions for the rest of their lives. And that quote is right on. If you put pause on your faith during those key years, I mean, think of all the life-altering decisions a person makes before the age of 30. Think of how big those decisions are. Is that a time when you want to put your faith on hold? Is that a time where you want to say, I'm not going to follow God's principles. I'm not going to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do my own thing from 18 to 30. Boy, a lot can happen in those years. And it is not uncommon for a kid who was raised by Christian parents to neglect what the scriptures say about debt. And I can't count the number of students who have huge regret because they didn't listen to what God said about debt and they're coming out of college $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 in debt. And they marry somebody who has $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 in debt. Oh. It is extremely common for young adults to neglect what the scriptures say about sexual integrity, and they find themselves in deep regret from irreversible decisions. Before I was 18, like a lot of you, I had a classmate who committed suicide. I had several, actually. Before I was 19, I had a friend who fathered a child while he was on spring break. Before I was 20, I had friends who were labeled as alcoholic. What if this wasn't inevitable for our kids and our teens? What if this wasn't just, oh, it's a given that they're going to do this? What if it wasn't? What if, what if there was something that God would have us to do so that our students would be less likely to make the decisions that our friends did or that we did? What if there was something that God would have us to do? What if this wasn't inevitable? Well, that's what this series is about. So let's get to work. Let's open up our notes. Please write this down. Snuffy the seal's fate. 
serves as a cautionary tale for young people who are shark weak. And that is not a typo. Shark weak. Even kids who appear to be walking closely with God in high school are often shark weak. Next week, if I have time, I want to talk about why I don't think an altar call for a teenager is a good metric. We encourage kids to come forward, give their lives to Christ. But when they say, you know, how many people got saved this weekend? I'm like, let's see. Ten years from now, let's see. Because it's not just about one moment in time. Kids can be so sincere in the moment, and they can mean it. Yep, I'm giving my heart to God, but they're not prepared for the challenges they're going to face, the sharks. And I've spoken before about a young man who believed that science and Christianity were compatible. He used to talk about it all the time until he went to college. And I've talked before, talked before about a high school girl that I knew who was the poster girl for abstinence at her school until she got a boyfriend. And I've spoken before about my best friend in high school who came back from college convinced that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't essential to his faith. Where did he get something like that? In his religious studies class at a, at a college that, that professes a Christian faith. I've spoken before about one of my co-captains on the cross-country team in college who walked away from God because she believed God walked away from her. One last statistic, and then let's turn this corner here. Here we go. Here's another alarming statistic. Only 20% of college students who leave the faith plan to do so during high school. The remaining 80% intended to stick with their faith but didn't. In other words... 80% of the students who walked away from Christ were, had all sincerity to keep following him, to keep pursuing him. 80% of those kids thought, I'm going for it, I'm going for it. They dove into the ocean, or they were dropped into the ocean with every intent to keep swimming the race, but they ended up as shark bait. Is there anything we can do as a church to help? Yes! The answer to that is yes. If you know the scriptures, then you know that there is. The Bible teaches us how to teach our young people to become kung fu seals. Kung fu seals. Here's a working definition of a kung fu seal. There's a place to write this in your notes. Kung fu seals aren't defenseless when confronted by a deceptive teaching or seductive temptation. In fact, Kung Fu seals seek to influence others instead of conforming to the culture around them. In fact, this is just the definition of a Christian in part, right? Not the full definition, but this is who we are. The challenges we face in the 21st century, while qualitatively different, aren't qualitatively more difficult than they were when a kung fu seal named Paul wrote a letter to disciples of Jesus living in a city called Philippi. And you might want to write this down. This guy we're going to talk about now, Paul, a man who we talk about a lot here, he set the standard for a kung fu seal. And for the next three Sundays, including this one, we're going to look at his example, we're going to look at his teachings, and we're going to focus in on a letter. This is a real letter we're looking at here for the next three weeks. A real letter to real people in a real city called Philippi, and it was written by this guy, Paul. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Philippians. That's what we're going to be looking at today. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. You can't become a Kung Fu SEAL without one. We've got copies at both of the exits on your way out. <clears throat> 
All right, let's dive right in. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Hey, it's going to be a good series when you start in chapter 1, verse 1, right? All right. Okay, here it goes. Here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, this is who it's from. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I was just two verses in to this study this week, and I was already humbled. I was already humbled as I thought about the context here as this guy writes grace and peace, and as he refers to Jesus as his Lord. I'm humbled because this guy, he's writing those things from prison. He's in prison when he's writing this. And not only that, he's writing it to people in a place where he was once imprisoned. So he's a prisoner now. He's writing to uh, these people in a place where he was once imprisoned. How many of you have read the book of Acts? Book of Acts, all right? In the book of Acts, there's this account where Paul is imprisoned in Philippi. That's this place. That's these people. And in that prison, he ends up converting a Philippian jailer and his whole household to Christianity. So Paul's writing to the Christians in that city. Let's jump ahead a little bit to verse 12. And here's what he says about his imprisonment now. He says, I want you to know, brothers, sisters, that what has happened to me, it's really served to advance the gospel. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for whom? It's for Christ. And most of the brothers now, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's inspiring. That's inspiring to hear a man write these words and remember his circumstances as he wrote them. Now, you may have noticed that our bobs are back. At least two of the three are back. One of them is all dressed up like a Navy SEAL today. Navy SEAL. He's representing a Navy SEAL. Those who set out to become a Navy SEAL, they know that the training that they're going to go undertake it is going to be the hardest thing they've ever done. Has anyone ever seen some of the training that they put these guys through? Treading water with 25-pound weights over your head. It's just crazy stuff. They know the training's going to be hard, and they sign up for it anyway. They know that it's going to be hard. A Navy SEAL puts themselves through that because they understand that the purpose of their training is actual deployment. The purpose of training is not to train. The purpose of training is for your deployment. A Navy SEAL doesn't view their training as an end in itself. The purpose of their training is to prepare them for their mission. Well, Paul is in prison and he's what? He's deployed. And he recognizes that. God hasn't abandoned me. God has deployed me. God knows where I'm at. God can rescue me from a prison. He's done it before. He's chosen not to. Okay, I'm deployed. God sees where I am. He knows my situation. So now it's about God. You've trained me for this moment. I'm here. How can I honor you right now? What does it look like to honor you right here, right now. This is why I was only a few verses in this week and I found myself hitting the reset button because it's so easy to drift from that, isn't it? It's so easy to fall asleep 
that we learned in our last series. Jesus said, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. Time is short, come on, don't fall asleep. It's so easy to fall asleep. I love getting into the word because there's passages like this that just bring me back to my 18-year-old self. My 18-year-old self, when I converted consciously my life to Christ, and I realized it was an all-in deal. Christianity was an all-in deal. I had been raised in a Christian home, great Christian parents, but it took me a long time to get it, that it's about everything. It's offering everything. And so when I said yes to the call as an 18-year-old just outside of Juarez, Mexico, I was able to say, here is my life, all of it as I know it today. I will lay down my career plans right here, right now. I will lay down my college plans right here, right now. I literally did change colleges there the summer after my senior year. I told God, I will stay single all my life if that's what you would have me to do. Those were hard things as an 18-year-old to say, I will lay this down before you, God. Wherever you lead, I'll follow. Whatever you say, I'll do. May I present to you, those are the types of prayers we need to teach our kids. Isn't it? We, we need to teach them those kind of prayers. Yep, you can pray for all kinds of blessings and all that kind of stuff. You bet. Teach them those types of prayers. Look at what Paul writes. Kung Fu Seal Master, picking up at verse 21 of chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1. Look at what he's saying. He's just coming out firing. He says, for me to live is Christ. To die is what? Gain. You know, I, I, as I was preparing this message, um, I was like, well, a lot of people, they know this. And then I heard this little voice. No, they don't. There's so much that's being misrepresented about Christianity, and this is being left off of the discussion in the mainstream so much. These are the words of Paul, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. I'm going to be fruitful in my deployment, you know. Yet, which should I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to get out of here, go be with Christ. That's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Hey, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for country. I'll do it. You know, I'll, I'll serve. I'll live out the mission. Paul's a seal, and he's not a shark bait seal. And he's not a seal that entertains the crowd in the safety of a zoo by balancing a ball on his nose. He is a Navy seal. He's been trained. He's been deployed. And here he is in prison doing what he was trained to do. All right, what does this have to do with us? I'd encourage you to write this down. God wants to develop a Paul-like faith in all of us. This is the norm. This is the radical minimum standard right here. This is, this is what the type of faith that God calls us to. The, and, and here's what's so beautiful about this. The faith that Paul had, it wasn't some depressing, oppressive, woe is me, all my friends are out having fun on a Friday night and God is making me stay home with my Bible kind of thing. That's not it. It's not saying no to all the fun so you can follow God. Look at Paul's words. Look at what he writes. This is picking up now. Let's jump ahead to chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. <laughs> Rick's shouting it out. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and guide your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Who doesn't want this? Who doesn't want this? To have this for yourself, for our young people? Paul was able to rejoice and be thankful and experience a peace that Paul passes all understanding in prison. Wouldn't you want to be there? Where, yep, you can pray for your release, but you can have peace if it doesn't come. Can you imagine having that kind of heart and mind? Wow. Now, embedded in this list, Paul mentions reasonableness. We could all use some more of that, couldn't we? And there's parents and there's churches that teach their kids. A lot of the churches that, that really want to follow the Bible, they teach their kids to be argumentative. You know, the goal isn't to win arguments. As cliche as this sounds, and it sounds really cliche, Kung Fu seals aren't concerned as much about winning arguments as they are about winning souls. Amen. Let's keep reading. Verse 10 from chapter 4 still. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Amen. Who doesn't want this? To be content in all circumstances. I have a hard time being content when the internet goes down. I, you know, right? I have a hard time being content at a red light. I have a real hard time being content when all the commercials are at the same time. What's a, what good is a remote? You know, right? If you, if, if, okay, see, this is how shallow I can be. All right, I want more of what Paul had. I could be in prison and I could be content. You know, what else, else were they right? If I have food and I have water, I'm good. Yeah. Wow. All right, well, let's now turn another corner and ask where Paul got what he had. He leads, he alludes to it. We just read it. Please write this down. Paul-like faith is a what? It's a Christ-like faith. The goal ultimately isn't to be more like Paul. Ultimately, and most of you saw this coming a mile away, the ultimate goal is not to become more like Paul. It's to be more like Christ and who Christ created us to be. So let's swipe back now. Philippians 2, starting with verse 3. Look at this. Paul makes a direct, direct um, link to faith and being more like Christ. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, again, this is where you could stop reading and go, there it is again. Christianity is the worst thing ever because you give your life to God, life is tough, and then you die. Is that where this verse ends? No. You just keep reading, and it says this. Okay, Christ died. He was obedient to death on a cross. So is it he just a suffering servant? You know, life is tough, and then you die? No. Therefore, God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. As we talked about in our last series, and as we talk about a lot here, there's a resurrection waiting for us too. Amen. And if we follow in the footsteps of Christ, we get the best of both worlds because we can live this life with peace, with purpose in our deployment, wherever it is. We get all this in heaven too, right? I think there was a Christian song back in the day, all this in heaven too. Lead band, yeah, it was. Striper, the guy when he went his own, he did a solo album, whoever his name was. Yeah, all right, sorry, flashback. All right, what were we talking about? Okay, here's what we're talking about. We can live that peace-filled, purpose-filled deployment, and we can get heaven too. No wonder Paul went after Christianity with everything he had. No wonder he went after this. And that's why we got Bob number two here. Bob number two is dressed up with the karate clothes. How many of you saw the original Karate Kid? The first one. It's the best. First Karate Kids. Gotta be the best. There's a lot of great scenes in that movie. And there's a scene in the movie where Mr. Miyagi tells Daniel-san that he's got to choose. He says it's got to be karate, yes, or karate, no. You can walk down one side of the road or you can walk down the other side of the road, but if you walk down the middle, you get squished like a grape. You get squished like a grape. It's karate yes or karate no. Paul was kung fu yes. He was karate yes. Why do I say that? Because he says that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I now count as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count him as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What? Paul had found was too good to keep to himself. Too good to keep to himself. And we see Paul's trying to recruit more Kung Fu seals among the Philippians. If we look back, this was right at the beginning, chapter one. Let's go back to chapter one now. Chapter one, starting with verse 27. He says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do not be frightened by, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. For it has been granted to you that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same deployment that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul is confident. He's confident that what God had done in Paul, he could do in the Philippians. Why do I say that? Because here's, let's take a look at one of the most famous quotes in this letter. Maybe you've, even if you're not familiar with the letter, you may have heard this quote. It comes out of chapter one, verse six. I am sure of this, says Paul. 
He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now this verse, may I just say, is too important to take out of context. This verse is way too important to take out of context. This is not a magic prayer. And I don't feel like I need to say that to you, but in case you've heard people say this, this is not a magic prayer. You don't just pray every day over your kids. I, I'm just going to trust that he who began a work will be faithfully completed and then stop there. That's just trying to use magic. Why do I say that? Because Paul goes on. Look at the very next verse. Should you pray this over your kids? Yes! Pray this over yourself. Pray this over everybody. I'm not saying don't pray it. What I'm saying is don't stop there. Because what comes next? Very next verse. And let me get a running start. I'm going to go back to six, and then I'll pick right up the next verse. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about y'all. Little Texan, he'd done missionary trips. Maybe he swung, no, he didn't swing through Texas. It is right for me to feel this way about y'all because, do you see that word, because? Don't forget the because. You get in trouble when you forget the because. He can have this confidence that God is going to do a good work because. And we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about the because. Do you simply pray someone into the Navy SEALs? No. Do you simply pray someone into the perfect, well-executed crane kick? Shout out to Kung Fu. Or what was that show? Karate Kid, right? Paul is confident that it's God who completes the good work in us. But does that mean that Paul was passive in his faith? No. Was he passive in what he describes for us to engage in? No. He was about as passive about his training and his mission as a Navy SEAL is about theirs. Let's go back to chapter 3, starting with verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Look at how, look how Paul is approaching life. Not only, or he says, not that I've obtained all this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature Think this way. Let us hold true to what we've obtained. Brothers, sisters, join. What does he say? In imitating me. Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Hey, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come again in glory. We learned, right, last series. He'll come again to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. Wow. Well, if you could take just a moment and pull out your blue insert, please. I want to just show you a cut and paste of a, of a tool that we're working on as a church. 
There's a tool that we've been working on for years because our church, we didn't sit out and say, hey, we have this vision, God, will you bless it? We, those of us who started all this, and some of you were there from the early days, we just felt God calling us, and we've been following him, and we've been playing catch-up, and he's been revealing his vision. And now we're starting to get some clarity on that. It only took eight years. And, and so we're starting to put this down on paper, and we're trying to say, this is God as best we can discern it. This is who you've called us to be. So we're creating this tool. It's not a document. It's a tool to help align our energy and our focus and our, our, our activities around the things that are most important. This is one tiny little part of one little page on this tool, and it, it describes this, what we're talking about with disciple-making. Now, on that piece, if you go all the way to the bottom, here's one that applies directly to Kung Fu Seals and what we're talking about with our young people. One of the things that we are doing and we will do, and by God's grace, we're going to do better than we've ever done done it before, we are going to leave a legacy. This will not be a church where we pass on a whole lot of dysfunction and a whole lot of debt to the next generation. Here are the keys, kids, to this thing that's falling apart. We're out, you know? We will, by God's grace, give a God-honoring legacy to those who come behind us. And so that means on our part, it means it starts by us welcoming young people here. This needs to be a church that welcomes kids, welcomes teens, welcomes young adults, but we can't stop there. We model God-honoring behaviors. We don't say do as we say and not as we do. That's a great way to build cynicism, but we don't stop there. We then help equip. We don't just say watch, we help equip them. And then we don't just have all these high-powered teens ready to go. We turn things over to them, and we entrust real ministry to them. That's who we're about. And, and let me show you something. If you keep looking at this chart here, do you want to ensure that you have shark weak kids? This is what I think is the word. If we have a word for us, this is it. And there's not a place to write this down. You can write it down if you want, though. Do you want to be sure you have shark weak kids? Jump from welcoming to entrusting. If you want to have shark weak kids, go from welcoming to entrusting. Just coddle them and then turn them loose. Just do everything that the culture is doing. Sign them up for the same activities. Send them to all the camps. Just, just do what everyone else around you is doing, and then turn them loose in college and see what happens. You're going to have a shark weak kid. Modeling and equipping is what Paul says we need to do. God, it's God's work, but this is our part in God's work. Modeling and equipping is what Paul advocates for. Why do I say that? Because Paul says that. Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and what? Seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is our outline. Next two weeks, right here. This is it. Next two weeks, seen and practice. These are, I believe, the two most important things that we can do when it comes to Kung Fu Seals. You know, we could talk about youth ministry for the rest of our time together until Jesus comes back and not exhaust all the things we could say. But if I had to boil down to what are the, the most important things, it's these two. And here, let's, if we can go to the next slide. Here we go. You can write this in your notes. There's a condensed version there. What you've seen in me practicing things. Here's the outline. Next two weeks. Number one, the most important thing we can do for the next generation is to pursue Christ-likeness like Paul did. 
There's nothing we can do more important than that than for us to pursue that kind of faith. Was it one of the Wesleys said, you know, my, my whole purpose in life, light me on, I want God to light me on fire and watch the world burn or something like that, right? Okay, so that's the most important thing. The next most important thing, the second most important thing, we've got to equip them. We've got to equip them. We can't just say watch. We equip them. These two things go hand in hand because how does a person get inspired to be a Navy SEAL? How do they get inspired? They see one in action. That's how they get inspired. How do they become equipped to be a Navy SEAL? Somebody trains them, usually more than one person. So if we want to see Kung Fu SEALs, what would God have us to do? Let, let, let them see them, and then let's train them. As I mentioned at the top of this message, this is one of the most important series we've ever done because here's what's on the line. I don't know if I asked permission for this picture, Daniel, but Daniel sent me a picture this week. He was looking ahead. Can I show it? A little late now, I suppose, right? Put you on the spot. This is the best. He was looking ahead. He saw that we were going to do a series called Kung Fu Seals, and he sent me this picture. That's his son. Got the crane kick going on, right, between the seals. This is why this matters. This is why this matters. Because I don't want to go one, two, one, two, one, two and say, good luck, you. And I imagine I'm not the only one. Don't we want to be a community that comes around families who want this for their kids? And we say as much as it depends on us, we're going to come alongside. And, and God, we pray that you would help us to become more like Christ so that they can see Christ. And Lord, what, how do we equip? Not how do we offer little programs where they laugh. I mean, I, I don't want to be like, here, look at me. I'm a seal. I can balance something on my nose. You know, oh, look, at it. the kids are coming. They're, they're off the streets. How do we equip them so that when they go off to college, they're not just sitting in, in their dorm room going, oh, how am I going to resist the peer pressure? They're gathering with other. They're finding the other Christians, and they're gathering. They're saying, how do we help reach our campus? Because that is not fun. Those people are going down a path. And how do we help them? And, and when, when they're in that classroom and that college professor is saying a whole lot of stuff that sure sounds really smart, they don't go, wow, that sounds really smart. I guess I've been wrong. They start praying, God, Holy Spirit, you said you'd give the words. You said you'd give the words. Bring forth your word and show me how I shine in this environment. Kung Fu seals, right? Isn't that what we want? So let's commit to that end. Would you please pray with me? God, may we be a church. May we be an expression of your body that is not content to have numbers, that is not content to have a nice program, that is not content to just provide a, a, an alternative where we throw in some Jesus songs once in a while. May we not be content. May we seek you. May we cry out to you. May we ask what you would have us to do as individuals and as a community so that we could give our best, our best to our young people. Holy Spirit, convict us wherever conviction is needed. As an individual, when it comes to modeling, when it comes to contributing, when it comes to stepping up to volunteer, as a church, when it comes to priorities, when it comes to being fearless, 
when it comes to trusting your ways instead of cultural trends? May we hear you with clear ears. May we hear your spirit. May we be drawn into your word so that the good work you've begun will take root in the soil of these young lives and no weapon formed against them will prosper. But they will go out there and change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.